just to give a brief introduction, just to say that uh, Guy and Heather and Guy obviously uh, leading the movement, but um, it's sometimes easy to become over-familiar with the gifts we're around. Have you noticed that? So in your local churches, you can go to your pastors and your leaders and give them a hug and say how much you appreciate them at the end. Uh, but I think even as a family, it's easy to get over-familiar uh, with the gifts that God has given. The scriptures talk about that, doesn't it, in Ephesians 4, that these gifts are given by the ascended Christ to us. Uh, and we're called to be a sent people. We're called to be an apostolic people. And the way you become apostolic is you receive uh, from the apostolic gift. And Guy carries that. Uh, I've been in close proximity with Guy. He's a humble man of God, but carrying something in his heart to create a family uh, on mission together. And so one of the things I think, particularly in British culture, uh, is that we can become, like Toppy was saying yes, they're quite easily critical and negative. And I think one of the ways that we get over that is we express value before someone's done anything. And so I want Guy to be able to come up on this platform and feel like he's preached the best sermon ever in the whole of the world, even before he said a word. And I thought it might be quite fun, as he gets up to really embarrass him, for us to stand and applaud him and say thank you. Can we do that? I'll get told off for this later, but I'll cope. So, Guy Miller. take your seats. Thank you so much. I was, I'm still coming to terms with that video. Are you? I mean, I just was left sort of weeping in a mess and thinking, I've got to come and speak in a minute, but isn't God awesome? And we have so much to look forward to in his wonderful kingdom advance that we are part of. I was a, um, when I was a young boy of, I think probably about eight or nine, I used to like exploring. And uh, on this particular occasion, I came upon a wall, and in the wall was a gate which was a little bit rack and ruin, and I pushed my way through the gate and ended up in an orchard of a manor house, an orchard which was uh, somewhat in rack and ruin, but an orchard which was in full fruit. And I can remember being a bit spellbound. It was a beautiful sunny day, the smell of the fruit, and I bent down and crunched on an apple, and then I picked a pear, and then the wonder of wonders in the corner against a wall was this beautiful Victoria plum tree. And I don't think I'd tasted plums like it, and I bit a plum and thought, oh. And I started to fill my little pockets with plums. I wanted to take some home for mum and dad. And suddenly there was a voice behind me that went, oi, you! And an old sort of man sort of started to come into the garden, and I legged it, scrambled back through the fence, and ran home and gave my prize to my mum and dad. And a few days later, I thought, I'll try it again. And the fence had been repaired. And there was a sign saying, keep out. The theme of West Point is the kingdom of God. 
It is a massive theme. It spans the whole of the Bible. In fact, sometimes when you hear Christians talking about the king and the kingdom and talk about Jesus, they limit their understanding of Jesus because they have no understanding of this incredibly powerful story and wonderful news of the kingdom of God. And the truth is tonight, we're going to be very simple, as you'd expect, but the story begins in a garden. That's why we have this beautiful greenery around me this morning, this evening. It says in Genesis, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. As man, men and women were created, Adam and Eve were created, God gave them rule and reign. The king of all the earth, the king that we have been worshiping tonight, called mankind to rule and to reign over his creation, to co-reign with him and understand a rule and reign that was transformative. Theirs were the raw materials that they were given and God said over them, I want you to bring things out. I want you to bring things into dominion. I want you to bring things into development. I want you to look at the trees. I want you to build. I want you to plant. I want you to govern. I want you to look after the animal kingdom. I want you to taste of these fruits. I want you to enjoy this good creation and rule with me in this creation. Now the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, it wasn't Kew Gardens, it was a project. And into Eden, God said to mankind, I want you to put some paths. I want you to bring some rules, some governance. I want you to start to build some houses. I want you to start to live in this creation. And by the way, I've provided everything you need in terms of fruit trees. There is an abundance. But there are two trees in this garden, right at the center, so you can't miss them. And one is a tree of life. One is the tree of life that you're welcome to. Because I'm a God of life and I've called you to rule and reign and you can eat whenever you like of the tree of life, but there is a tree of death. A tree of death that may look attractive, may look pleasing, but if you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And we know the story too well and it's too well rehearsed to know that there was a moment, we don't know how long, when they looked upon the tree of death, when they looked upon the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they thought to themselves, and they were lied to, that this would provide a life 
equal to God's. They, could, they didn't need God. They didn't need to be co-regents and submitting their regency to God. They could rule themselves, and they took of the fruit, and they bit of the fruit, and death entered the world. That terrible, terrible moment when suddenly their eyes were open, suddenly they knew that death had entered this beautiful creation and their relationship with God was broken and things would never be the same. And there's a great sadness, isn't there, when you read those verses, God drove the man out of the Garden of Eden and he placed cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. God promised in the moment of man's greatest deception was Adam fell. He was defeated by a tree. God promised to them, Adam and Eve, that out of their descendants one would come. One day one would come. A king would come and he would restore. He would open. He would bring keys that could get them back into the garden, mankind back into the garden. And mankind was driven and sin and death entered our world tragically. And we read our pages of our Old Testament and we see how God continuously choosing a people to himself, continually promising them under his regency, under his rule, a land flowing with milk and honey. And we read stories of flourishing. We read stories of promised land. We read stories of grapes and figs and joy and presence. As, as man chose to follow God's rule and submit to his kingship. And we equally find kings and rulers, trees that pretended they were life but being trees of death. I don't think it's more powerfully Described than in Nebuchadnezzar's vision in Daniel chapter 4. It says here, These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches from in every creature was fed. This is a picture, a powerful picture of the empire of Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar, a false king. And here's what heaven says about that tree. He called out in a loud voice from heaven, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. The greatest kingdoms on earth are brought low and the people of God are pointed to a future horizon when one would come and one would come bearing keys, one would come bringing life. And 2,000 years ago, we hear and read the story of Jesus' birth. You'll call him Jesus, said the angel, because he's going to save his people from their sins. And this Jesus grew up to be a worker of wood. 
And at 30 years of age, this Jesus becomes a preacher, a rabbi. And he calls men and women to follow him. And thousands do. A crowd probably bigger than this crowd were following him one day. And he sat them down on a mountainside. And he explained to them the heart of God. He, he drew their understanding of Old Testament promises. He drew their understanding of the Psalms, of flourishing, of the heart of God for all his people to flourish. And he said these words, flourishing are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Flourishing are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Flourishing are the meek, for they will inherit the whole earth. Flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Flourishing are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Flourishing, it says in Matthew chapter 5, flourishing are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Flourishing are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, and flourishing are those who, when they're persecuted for righteousness' sake, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talks to those disciples, and he says, my life is one of flourishing. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, if you look at the Beatitudes, it is a wonderful description of Christ. And he's come to bring life and to bring life to the full. And as the eyes of those disciples were open to understand this was just no more ordinary man, this was the king, this was the promised Messiah. And Peter had that revelation of you are the Christ, you are the anointed one, you're the one who's coming to open the gates again. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you. And let me tell you this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And there's excitement as we see what the king does, as he heals the sick, as he tells demons to be silent as he brings a rule and reign of God and shows us exactly what heaven is like on earth. There are crowds, there are applause, there is wonder. And then there is consternation as he turns his face and heads towards a tree that dominated the Roman skyline. It was the tree of death. It was a tree that no one in the Jewish community wanted to talk about because cursed is everyone who hangs upon that tree. And Jesus sets his face like flint towards that tree. His disciples try and get in the way. And as Adam in a garden was defeated by a tree, so we find Christ in another garden. And he's kneeling in that garden. And he's contemplating that tree. 
And he says, as Adam said, nevertheless, my will be done. Jesus, kneeling there, sweating blood, said, nevertheless, thy will be done. And Jesus was nailed to a tree, that old rugged cross. Blood and water flowed down as he gave up his life. And he died. And he was buried in a tomb, in a garden. It says in 1 Peter, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness for by his wounds you have been healed you like sheep had gone astray but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul Christ died Christ was buried And a few days later, into a garden, where the garden tomb was, ladies came early to anoint the dead body of Christ with spices. And they come into a garden, and one of them encounters someone she thinks is the gardener. She'd never been so right in many ways. And he spoke to her by name. Mary. And as she looks, and as we look, and as we think upon the tree of death, that tree of death is now covered in blossom. Why do you seek the living here among the dead, said the angels? Because Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And go tell your brothers... Go tell your brothers that Jesus is alive, that he is the one who has conquered sin and conquered death and conquered Satan. And no longer is the doorway to heaven barred. Now there is a great big sign saying, whoever, whoever, whoever eats of that tree of life, who eats of the fruit of Christ's righteousness, will never perish but have everlasting life. Eat of that tree and know eternal life. And the story, the joy, the wonder as Jesus commissions those disciples to go into all the world and preach this good news. The God of heaven, the God of love, the God of justice and mercy has made a way that we now can find our way back into life and eternal life. And that kingdom mandate, that mandate that was lost all those thousands of years before had now been restored to a people that Jesus was calling to himself. Called not just to be family, not just to be children, but to be vice regents on earth, to bring his rule and reign wherever they went. God has called you to be a flourishing tree. And this is the words I want you to remember from tonight as you go back to your tent. God has called you to be a flourishing tree. You are not meant to just survive in the Christian life. You're meant to flourish. Whether you find yourself in Aleppo, when you read the Christians in Aleppo, or you find yourselves in the middle of London, God wants you to flourish and be fruitful. And so I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, do you know God has called you to be? A flourishing tree. Just do that and rehearse that.
Okay. <clears throat> I want you to. Uh, I want you to have some fun over the campsite. We've done this back at home. We're preparing this message for West Point, saying to my family, what's, what's, what tree are you? You can, ha- you can do some Bible study. There's some wonderful trees in the Old Testament, and they're pictures of so many different things. I'll leave you to find out and enjoy. People have told me an, an oak, uh, pretty solid. People have also prophesied over me that I'm a weeping willow. A Peter K moment. God has called you to be a flourishing tree. And if you're not flourishing tonight, we need to understand the kingdom mandate of Jesus in the Beatitudes. Because, brothers and sisters, it is an upside down kingdom. As the tree that we thought brought life, brought death, and as the tree that we thought brought death, brought life, so the way in which we are to live our lives in this world is an upside-down way of living. That flourishing that we might think and the world might tell us, this is the way to flourish in life. It's not the way to flourish in the kingdom of God. And we need to understand that. And so I love the description of the kingdom of God that uh, Patrick uh, Schreiner says, the king's power over the king's people in the king's place. Dave Devnish talked about the dynamic ruling of Christ in every situation through his people this morning. God wants you and me, every one of us tonight, to know his heart for us is that we flourish. That in every season that we are, the Psalm 1 is a picture of us, that every season our leaf won't wither, every season we will bear fruit, the fruit of joy, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at this tonight, we're going to look at the Beatitudes, and we're going to take some encouragement from that. And uh, I just want to say, if you're watching this on television, if you're watching this at all at home tonight and watching this, this is not Gardener's Question Time, this is not Monty Don, this is a Bible conference that you're listening to in case you suddenly think, what on earth have I just switched on to, okay? Now... In order to make a message memorable, uh, I've been working alongside a great team to help me put this together on a little book for you. And as you go tonight, every single one of you will have one of these books. It's a book to, not just to quickly flick through and say nice pictures, throw it on the back of the car, This is a book to help us and equip us. Let me just explain my reason for writing this. In each of the Beatitudes that you'll read each day, you'll read a little bit of Scripture. And I've rooted that Scripture into the sort of whole understanding of nature and growth that you'll hear a little bit of tonight. My passion in our movement is that we make disciples. Sometimes people say, I don't know what to start, how to start, what to start. I want to say to you, this is a great little start. 
If every one of us in commission tonight goes back and says, with my little group, with the person that I'm discipling, I'm going to work through over 10 weeks, over 20 weeks, whatever you do, if you meet every week, every other week, I'm going to work through the Beatitudes in this little book. I promise you it will serve us well. If we want to preach on this series, it will serve us well, you pastors and leaders. But it isn't just a little Bible study. On each page, there is a commission aspect. Because sometimes when we come to West Point and we hear about our vision of thousands of lives transformed through hundreds of churches and tens of nations, as we heard a few years ago, us talk about, well, we need to, every one of us needs to be sent. We, all of us need to be unified, all of us together. Everyone needs to be released into their area of service, and we all need equipping. We're still a little bit, well, hang on, how do we, how do I fit? What's my part in commission? And can I say it? Every one of you has a part. I wonder if you think about a jigsaw puzzle, a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle. I wonder if you think about the four edges of send, unify, release, and equip. We've put those edge pieces in. And now we're all little pieces of that jigsaw ready to go into the master plan. What is the master plan? Well, God prophesied it, I think, a year or two back on this platform that we're moving from market gardening into farming. There are fields of harvest across the nations for us to work with King Jesus and bring in a harvest. And in that picture, there are a picture of fields and farm workers. There are combine harvesters and getting those. There are farm tracks. There are barns. There are the people who are turning the wheat into bread. There is a job for everyone. And so as you read each page of this thing, you'll find a little commission part, a commission culture, a commission in terms of apostolic ministry that needs to be released, commission strategy. And as you read that, I pray you'll find your place in this big jigsaw. You might well volunteer and try and help some of the teams that are working on these various what we call packages in order to everybody can be caught up in unlocking this great vision God has for us of thousands of lives and hundreds of churches in tens of nations. The other two aspects of this book, it's got nice pictures in it as well. And little drawings that Heather's done. So you're going to be really, really interested in getting, getting this now. Every page has got a memory verse because scripture is powerful and I want to equip you. And then there's three prayers. Every day you pray, there's three prayers. There's a pray for yourself putting this scripture straight into practice as a prayer for your church because we need to be praying for the church in these days and then there's a prayer for commission so I pray this will really serve you well I've written this with you in mind every one of you it's not a clever book it's a book to serve you and a book to drive home this important message in terms of the kingdom of God so let me tonight just give you a taster. Let me, let me see what the time is. Uh, let me give you a little taster. Turn in your Bibles, please, into Matthew chapter 5. I'd like to use um, all these little props I've got with me tonight to just drive home each illustration. But the first thing I want to say and want you to notice about the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God always, always starts small. Blessed are the poor 
in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Did you ever have this experience as a kid? Your parents bought you a packet of seeds. And on that packet is a picture. And here we got a picture of a sunflower. And can you remember as a kid ripping it open and thinking, <gasps> to just get this on your hands? Dead, dry, desiccated, nothing like the picture? Have I been conned? What's this about? These tiny little insignificant, what's that got to do with a garden and flower and beauty and transparency? Well, how about this? Pick this one the other day. An acorn. A little acorn. What a pathetic little nut. You ever been called a pathetic little nut? <laughs> I have more times than I want to admit. Yet, yeah, here's the funny thing. Inside this pathetic little nut, it has DNA. It has the ability to produce an oak tree. It has the ability to laugh at us that that oak tree will be living way beyond anybody at West Point. If you go to the New Forest, Nightwood Oak was there when Henry VIII rode through the New Forest, and it's still there today, still giving little seeds. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God starts small. You'll know that how many times did he talk about seed? How many times did he talk about all by itself, this seed? Untended, uncared for, un unnurtured. It lies there with the ability to grow and reproduce. It has the DNA to reproduce a harvest 60, 30, 60, even 100 times what was sown, and so beautifully different from what was sown. Can I encourage us tonight that Jesus was buried. Jesus the King, that seed was buried. Dead. Forgotten. He was poor in spirit. He humbled himself and became obedient even to death upon a cross. And because he was obedient, because he was willing to die, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And now across the globe, millions, billions are worshipping, have come out of that little seed that was sown and now produced a worldwide harvest. The gospel seems to be pretty pathetic in our high-tech world. And yet, brothers and sisters, can I say to you tonight, there is no other name given to men under heaven by which they can be saved but at the name of Jesus. The gospel may appear futile and, and, and pathetic and so weak, and yet I tell you, there is no greater message the world needs to hear than the glorious gospel. And here's what we discovered the other day, because we're going to take acorns and other seeds into the, the um, youth when we speak on Sunday morning. Trees are very wasteful. 
stand on an oak tree at the moment and come on tree, think about it. There's millions of oak, little acorns. And yet, here's the truth I want to share with you. The more seed you sow, the greater the harvest. Sometimes believers think, oh, just once a year, I want to share the faith. No, I'll tell you what, we need to transform our nation and our nations by everywhere we're going, sowing seed of love, of goodness, of kindness, and of transparency to people, and telling them about Jesus. Heather and I, everywhere we go in London, we have little cards, we, they're just very simple cards that say, hey, it's really nice to have met you. We'd love to introduce you to some of our friends on the back of it. Come to Westminster Chapel this Sunday. We'd love to introduce you. And we found people everywhere we go, coffee shops, everywhere we go, just, hey, so good to meet you. Take one of my cards, take one of my cards. And we're finding people are making their way to church. Now, imagine if we all lived like that. If we all did that. How many seeds, how wasteful, hundreds, thousands of invitations and cards. But just think of the harvest. Think of what God can do with your little seeds as you sow your seeds all over the world. Think of the harvest. That's how we're going to reap a massive, massive harvest. The seed of the gospel has the DNA of eternal life. Can I speak to the hard little nuts in the room? God wants you to flourish. God wants you to sow seed. I meet some Christians and they say, do you know, I'm just not very good at this. Just sow the seed. It's not about how good or bad you are. It's sow the seed. You'll be amazed. You'll be amazed the power this seed has to bring transformation. Unlocking the vision is about sowing seed and understanding the kingdom starts small. Let me say again, secondly though, the kingdom of God grows out of death. It says here, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, I don't know about you, but soil is... Pretty mucky stuff. Pretty unimaginative stuff. In fact, pretty dead stuff. When you take your fork at the beginning of a year and wrestle it into the earth and turn over the soil, what do you find? Death. Worms. Little mites. Old roots decaying foliage, last year's life, now rubbish. It's an unimpressive situation that faces a gardener every year, and yet he knows, because God's made it this way, that out of the death of last year's stuff, there is the potential for life. So you see, when the seed finds the soil, there is a miracle that happens of transformation. And Jesus was called a man of sorrows. 
And Jesus was the one who said, if you want to know how to live in this world, if you want to know how to live in a world of warfare, of, of, of hurting, of maiming, of abuse and killing and death and divorce and breakdown, if you want to rub your hands and get your hands dirty in that soil, it looks unpromising. It looks like there is nothing of God that can possibly happen. And yet if we come to that soil, if we come to the situations that befall us, full of death, full of disaster, full of sorrow, and we mourn as God mourns over the brokenness of this world, as we mourn about death and sickness and diseases, we are moved by compassion to this world, as Jesus was. Out of this death, out of our mourning can come Kingdom life. Jesus goes to a, f- a funeral. He goes and he's moved and he weeps at a funeral. It's only right to do. And yet at that funeral, he shows us exactly how the kingdom of God looks like when the kingdom of God touches earth. And he says to his good friend, Laz- Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. Death has to obey the king. And out of what looks like disaster, out of what looks like grotty, stinky mud, comes forth life. This year for you may have been a year of death. For me, it was a year of death where my mum died and passed away. And we had the situation. Where my mum was taken into hospital, she looked like she was recovering back in February. And uh, she looked like she was recovering. And Heather said to me one evening, well, I'd, got, I'd been and seen my mum and was just relaxing. She said, I think you're going to go and see your mum tonight. And I said, oh, God. I've been out every night. And she said, I just feel there's a, a moment for you and your mum to touch base. I said, she's doing well. She's going to be out within a few days. No, I just feel... I was irritated with Heather. (laughs) How many men here need to listen more to their wives? (laughs) Let's go for an appeal now, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I went in, had the whole ward to myself, just my mum on my own. I said, tell me, mum... Tell me about your childhood going to church. And she started to open up about, as a young girl, how she asked Jesus, the good shepherd, to come into her life. Never knew that. And I asked her, where's the good shepherd now? She said, well, I feel like I've let him down. I feel. And I said to her, he's right here, mum. Let's invite him to come and lead and take care of you. We prayed, we cried, went home, and the following day my dad rang and said, your mum's doing much better, and I thought, that's the prayer. And then that evening, she's got two hours to live, went to her bedside, and was able to pray over her as she left this world. You may have been through terrible sorrows, terrible mourning. Jesus promises us who live in his kingdom, we will receive comfort. 
And there's no greater comfort than knowing that this is not the end. There is a great adventure before us. You see, when you come to the end of the story in Revelation, you don't come to clouds and cherubs and harps. Isn't that wonderful? I tell you, when I became a Christian and we sang, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, with no less days to sing God's praise, I was I'm bored after three songs. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to fit in. I bet you've thought that. And then you find in Revelation, no, 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 the end game is a garden city. And the trees of life run down the garden city, and there's fruit and the healing of the nations, and there's a wonderful, wonderful finale to what God started in Genesis we find at the end. It's not that we somehow get up into heaven. Now, heaven now comes down to earth as it was always meant to be, and we will reign with him forever and ever in glorified bodies, no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering, because we will be transformed and be like him. So we have comfort, brothers and sisters. I know there'll be people who have had a terrible year. There is comfort for every citizen of the kingdom, every child of God, that God is a God of all comfort. And he wants to draw near. And we are to be those, brothers and sisters, please hear this. When you saw me get my hands dirty tonight, we are to be those who are moved to get our hands dirty. We're to be moved to, to care for those who are poor, to care for those who are downtrodden, to look at situations where we think, oh, I'd rather walk the other side of the street and to reach out and to show people the love and compassion of Christ. Blessed are those who mourn. The third thing I want us to see here is the kingdom of God is rooted. It said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. When you take a plant like this, it's interesting just to look at this plant. And if you're a gardener, you'll know exactly this looks healthy. But I can tell you this, it's not. Because out from the bottom already coming roots, this is pot bound. This left to itself will die. It needs to be repotted. The funny thing about the Christian life, and here's the truth of the Christian life, is there are what, when we believe the gospel, the immediate work of the gospel is often just hidden. There are little tiny, when you sow a seed into soil, there are little tiny filaments, little tiny growths that start to spread out seeking nutrients, seeking water, and they're spreading out, they're hidden, and, and, and people who plant a seed, children particularly, are looking, 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 week, days, oh, where is it, where is it? And then suddenly, boop, up it comes. And beneath that little couple of seedlings is a system already of roots, humble roots, blessed are the meek. We can often say, I want to I look good for Jesus. I want to grow fast for Jesus. But Jesus says, no, you want to live in this kingdom, you, you have to put your roots down. The life of the kingdom is mostly hidden. 
If you haven't got that hidden life, what you're like when no one else is looking, what you're like when, when you, it's just you and Jesus and you're, you're drinking in him and you're reading his word and, you, and, you, and you're putting down your roots, if you don't put those roots down, then when the hot day comes, you'll wither. You'll shrink. You'll die. We often, in the society we're living in, we like the fast and we like the flashy and we like the triumphant and we like all the big stories. And we think of that is what it's all about. The kingdom of God is all about this. But the kingdom of God, says Jesus, is all about meekness. It's all about humility. Jesus didn't say, come, follow me, and you do you. He says, come, follow me, and die. And I'll show you how to truly live. Our roots are humble roots. It's not that we pretend that we're humble. It's not that we just say, oh, I'm, I'm not very good at this. I'm rubbish. I wasn't that good. No, that's not humility. That's false humility, which is worse kind of pride. I love the way Tim Keller, and there's, a, there's that glorious little book over the other side, Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It says, humility is not thinking less of oneself, but thinking of oneself less. Jesus is our king. He is our great apostle. He is our great example. He didn't grasp. He didn't hang on to. He gave it all up in order for us to come into all this and more and more and more. And so we must understand if we're to be kingdom agents, if we're going to be the rule and reign for Jesus Christ, we do so in an attitude of humility. We say to God, we understand you're more interested in our character than what we sound like, what we look like on the outside. We're desirous tonight, Lord, not to go out here and pretend we're happy, clappy charismatics who, who like a bit of reformed theology. We're saying, Lord, do a deeper work in me. Draw into me, draw me into yourself that my confidence and my security is found in you and you alone. Are there pop-bound believers in the room tonight? Your marriage is pop-bound. Your spiritual life is pop-bound. You're just about hanging on to a leaf looking green. Isn't it time you allow God to repot you? To put your roots down into fresh soil? The kingdom of God needs nutrients. Fourthly, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This summer has been unusual for those of us in the UK. We've had dust bowls. <laughs> we don't normally get dust bowls in England. We were just under a tent when it was pouring rain, some Indians, first time in, 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 in England. They're going, this is your summer? I said, this is a good summer. I thought you got dust bowls. Yeah, well, that's like once in another like 30 or 40 years. Now, normally it rains. Hungering and thirsting. Wasn't all the grass hungering and thirsting? It all turned yellow, hungering and thirsting. It was looking for something beyond itself. 
Righteousness here is a description of purity and holiness. It's shorthand for the will of God. That's quite powerful, isn't it? Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness tonight? Are you you saying, not, oh Lord, just bless me? Because that can often just be selfishly motivated. Or are you praying for righteousness? Lord, I want righteousness tonight. Righteousness is this, thy will be done. Thy will be done in my life. Thy will be done in my marriage. Thy will be done in my finances. Thy will be done over my church. I want thy will to be done. I'm hungering and thirsting for your will because I've tried my will and it hasn't worked and I need your will to be done and I'm hungry for that. I'm desperate for that. A plant hasn't got lips to say, feed me, feed me. We have. And so our roots, our hunger and thirst, brothers and sisters, if we're to grow as a movement, if we're to unlock this vision and fulfill God's purposes for our life, we must never, ever move far from the Bible, never move far from making a disciple of every believer. It was never follow Jesus and do as you please. It was always follow Jesus and find out what you were put on planet earth to do. Every one of us a full-time agent for King Jesus. Every one of us called to bring his rule and dominion wherever we go, in every place. The kingdom of God needs nutrients. Think of the Psalm 1, verse 3, like a tree planted beside streams of water. A disciple, and we can sometimes, can I just say this, we can sometimes use discipleship again, shorthand. Let's call ourselves apprentices. We're being apprenticed to Jesus. We're being apprenticed to his way. They used to call it the way. We're apprenticed to live with Jesus. We're apprenticed to live like Jesus. We're apprenticed to do the things Jesus did, to heal the sick and raise the dead and do the works of kindness Jesus did and preach good news to the poor as Jesus did. We're called to be apprenticed and to live the life of Jesus. So that when people talk about us, it's not, have you done a discipleship class? Have you read a book? No, these people are desperately hungering and thirsting to be everything Jesus called them to be. The kingdom of God needs nutrients. Last two, the kingdom of God is transformational. Blessed, flourishing, are the merciful, for they will be shown Mercy. When you come to a tree or a plant in summer, it is covered in flowers. Fruit trees are covered in flowers. I've got, I think I've got seven fruit trees in my garden. This year they were covered in flowers. I did not go over to those fruit trees and say, what an extravagance. Why put in all that work? One or two would have been good enough for me. Those flowers are there saying what? Saying all bees welcome. Every insect, come on in. We need you. Because left to themselves, those blossoms, those beautiful, attractive blossoms will fall to the ground and there'll be no fruit. But once insects fly in, in mercy... 
taking mercy upon that flower, taking mercy upon that tree. As, as an insect rubs its pollen against its legs and goes to the next tree, so this incredible transformation. And so what was once beautiful blossom, now in my garden are pears and apples and plums because there's been this incredible cross-pollination. The kingdom of God is transformational. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy in Scripture is connected with mankind's misery and hopelessness. It isn't just pity, it's pity plus action. And the church is a community where we can demonstrate the fruitfulness of God by our lives being interchanged with one another, by welcoming our interaction with other people. But hear this. The kingdom is bigger than the church. The kingdom is the whole world. And we're meant to be agents of transformation. We're meant to be taking the gospel, the love of Jesus, wherever we go, and getting up close and personal with people's lives, even though they might look like they're blossoming and they don't need the gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God the merciful looked upon our plight and didn't just go, what a shame. Oh, those poor things. It was pity plus action. God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son. Jesus died. He got his hands dirty with us so that we might, by his grace, receive everlasting life and have this incredible transformation in our lives. Isn't it a miracle, every testimony of healing, every testimony of salvation? Isn't it wonderful? As we look upon what God's done in each other's lives to think this is the gospel that we want to share with the whole world. And so we're commissioning tonight bees to fly out from West Point and to pollinate the earth and bring God's color and transformation and fruit all over the earth. That's God's heart for us. Application, what are the five most neglected, despised, Overlooked areas in your town, your village, your city. Will you not just have mercy? Will you not just have pity? Will you be merciful tonight? Pity plus action. Will you move there? Will you start a ministry there? Will you go there? These big cities like London. Heather and I feel to be drawn into London more and more because the need is massive as it is in many towns and villages and cities all across our nation. We need to be mobilized, brothers and sisters. We need to get on this mission together because we have life. God has done something wonderful in us. We have this incredible, wonderful life, eternal life that we've brushed up against. And the good news is as we go with compassion and mercy and rub up against other people, there will be that same wonderful transformation. Churches will be planted. And churches, brothers and sisters, are like gardens or garden centers. They're great places to be nurtured. They're great places to be watered. They're great places to be helped. But they all need to be transplanted out across the world to bring the transformation God wants us to bring. And finally, tonight anyway, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The kingdom of God has integrity. There's so much in this one Simple statement, but we won't have time to unpack. Only to say this. Jesus is addressing this. 
They look nice. Beautiful flowers. Lovely, perfect. The leaves are perfect. The flowers are perfect. But there's no life. They're dead. They're a pretense. Jesus is using a word in, this, in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, teleos, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's addressing the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those who were looking incredibly good. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of, of heaven. The disciples, wow, who can get there then? What on earth is Jesus talking about? And Jesus is talking about there are those that look and speak and can say the right thing and do the right thing, but there is no life. He says you've got to have the purity of heart. Jesus is interested in our hearts. He's not interested in our outward performances. He's not interested in how well I speak tonight. He's interested in my heart. He's interested in your heart. He's interested in tonight, if you're drawn by his love and mercy and compassion and saying, give me this booklet, I want to be fruitful, or whether you're thinking, tell you what, couldn't care less. But I'll put my hands up in church, and I'll look the part Sunday by Sunday. Purity in heart. How's your heart tonight? I had a medical at the end of the year, they put me on a treadmill. They put wires all over me. They put me on a bike. I had a cycle and went uphill, downhill on this various things. And at the end of it, there's a long cycle ride and they're monitoring this all. And then they get off the bike after a cool down. And the uh, young lady who was doing this said, you're in the top 10% of fitness for your age. <laughs> Made my year. Best thing I'd heard for a long time. I smiled all the way home to tell Heather. She said, your heart is in a good place. Your heart is in good shape. Now that can be important, limited. But your spiritual heart, brothers and sisters, how's that? Is it beating? Is it beating with the love of Jesus? Is it beating in tune with the will of God. Are you saying tonight, thy will be done? Teleos means integrity. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It means to be the tree God's called you to be. Please don't waste your life thinking you're a fig tree. And <laughs> Why aren't I bearing olives? What a waste of a life. Go on, an oak tree. I wish I was a willow. Be the tree God's made you to be. You are called to be a flourishing tree. You haven't got that yet, have you? You are called to be a flourishing tree. So flourish and be the tree God's called you to be and stop pretending that you're something else or need to be something else. Let me finish by saying this. The Queen announced this year something called the Commonwealth Canopy. It's a great video. Watch it. And across the Commonwealth countries, she's encouraging planting of trees because they're the lungs of the earth. They're going to bring air and joy and peace and tranquility and beauty and majesty all across the world. And so the Queen's Commonwealth Canopy is an encouragement to everybody in the Commonwealth to plant trees and to enjoy trees and look after trees. 
All of us are called to go from this place and to plant trees, the trees of life. You're called to be a tree of life. You're called to be a flourishing tree. You're called to be, whether it's in medicine, whether it's in arts, wherever it is, you are a full-time kingdom child of God called to flourish wherever you go. You are being commissioned tonight to go and to do what the, uh, the first commission told those first man and woman, to go into all the world, to go and to plant and to bring transformation and to bring life and to bring order out of chaos and to bring the kingdom of God by making disciples of all nations. And sometimes we get a little bit religious about ordination because ordination really means bringing order. And we sometimes say, we're just going to ordain ministers. No, we should be ordaining every child of God because we're all called to bring order that's what the kingdom of God is it's bringing fruitfulness it's bringing life it's bringing order out of chaos it's bringing truth where there is lies and so tonight a little bit a little bit different I want to ordain you tonight to go and be a flourishing tree now it's a two-way street I'm going to give you five wills. Alignment of wills, we talked about that. The righteousness is thy will be done. And so I'm going to ask you to stand right now, ask the worship team to come up. And the way we're going to do it is I'm going to say a statement and then I will ask this question, will you. And I'm expecting you to say, we will. Are you ready for this? This is an ordination moment for every one of you. First question. Will you sow the seed of the gospel wherever you go, beginning with your family your neighborhood, your schools and colleges, your workplaces, to the very ends of the earth. Will you? Amen. Secondly, will you live the flourishing life of the kingdom of God by letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that your mind is renewed in the power of the Holy Spirit and the words you speak are life words to those who hear. Will you? Thirdly, will you dignify every dark trial and difficulty, keeping your heart soft and your spirit humble, seeking to find God's good, perfect, and pleasing will for your life and situation? Will you? Fourthly, will you be fruitful and multiply? Will you fill the earth with disciples, teaching others to obey everything that Christ has commanded you? Will you? And finally, will you be the flourishing tree that God called you to be? Will you? then I commission you, lift your hands before the King. 
I commission you tonight in the mighty name of Jesus to be fruitful and to multiply, to go from this place to make disciples of all nations and to live a life of flourishing, bearing fruit in every situation, in every place, that fruit of the Holy Spirit the fruit of salvation wherever you go. I commission you in the mighty name of Jesus to go from this place and sow seed and preach the gospel and make disciples and bring transformation, kingdom transformation to hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of lives. I commission you in the name of Jesus to receive the Holy Spirit, the spirit of mission to send you out with power to preach and to live this transformational life. I release you into God's wonderful sovereign plans in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Let's worship him.